Welcome to episode 251 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man over in Atlanta, Georgia. It's Randy on the run. That's me. I'm not on the run. I'm, I'm here officially, so people know I'm here. Unofficially, I heard that you were on the lamb. Uh, no, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, not a, I'm not above the law. I'm, I'm following all the, uh, the guidelines and, and laws out there. <laughs> now, speaking of guidelines and laws, um, what what is what is the COVID situation over in Atlanta, Georgia? How's how's everything happening over there? Um, it's good. You know, it's um, you got some people wearing masks outside, and a lot of people not wearing masks outside, which is you know seems like it it's fine indoors. Same thing. Here. It's um, oh yeah, that's right. F- the fifteenth was like the uh, the cutoff day for for rules, right? Well, it was the 15th slash the 17th. I think, yeah, it got confusing, of course. Uh, yeah. But now you can wear... I, I went into uh, our local sup- supermarket here, Lunardi's, which we have uh, shouted out several times before. Uh, big fan of the Lunardi's as they have several chains here in the Bay Area. But I went to Lunardi's the other day, Randy, mm-hmm. and was immediately asked if I was vaccinated. Really? Yeah. Huh. So it is... Gestapo over there at Lunardi's. Yeah, it's much looser here. There are signs that, like, outside of, you know, each business, it says, like, you know, to wear a mask, or some places it says it's optional, or some places it says you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated. So it's kind of uh, just not all over the place, but kind of people make rules by it's different by each business, but it's not like they're not asking you if you're vaccinated. It just kind of like says, yeah. But Randy, what about the mask you wear in your daily life? I never take that one off, baby. That's what I thought. Here to explore this topic and many others is Russell John Fisher. <laughs> Hello. Or Russell John, the Fisherman. Thank you. I'm like, you come up with there the best go. intro and you never use it. Because I feel like, I don't know, part, look, I love it and I, w- I want to, but you know, it was a special moment that happened. So maybe we should just let it be. So we only repeat the terrible things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's like trauma. We just bring up the shit that doesn't work. And over there controlling the uh, the screen and the boards, our technical guru, Oksana Valerinova Osachi. That is false advertisement. I can't. I'm technical inept. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me rephrase. The person over there running the computer monitor and uh, filling us up with many misspellings. Is Oksana Valerinova Osachi. Hi. There we go. <laughs> Randy, what's the weather over at ATL? We've got you've missed a little bit of a heat wave over here in Cali, bro. That's what I've been hearing. It's um it's nicer here. It's like well, it's eighty one right now, but it was like seventy five this morning and raining. When's the last time it rained here, dude? I I don't know. I was trying to it's think of weird. the same thing when I was here, but I can't remember the last time I had a California rain. Yeah, when I drive to work in the morning, I go to pick somebody up in Pacifica, and half the time, it's so foggy over there, it feels like it's raining, but the rain, rain, it's been a while. I feel like February and March, early March, we had like a lot of rain, and then nothing since then. Like, not even a sprinkle. Yeah, I know. I like the rain, too. I know. Y'all's fascination with the rain is troubling. Hey, so- It's dark and gloomy outside, and y'all are so (laughs) stoked. Now, I know we're doing our, our big uh, new, shorter, better episode today. Yeah. And in, 
you were actually in here working for the first time ever on the podcast. What, prior. what, what is this? No, why, no, no. Why do you always have to go behind the curtain? It's not. No, no, it's not behind. I was just curious. You had a book on the table. I'm wondering if you're like picking up reading again. Hell yeah. Okay. I feel like this is a loaded thing that you're doing right now. No, no, it's a segue. You know, you know good and well that I'm not committing to that. Oh, okay, but you could. I mean, dude, I'm. I've read a the great... first few chapters. Okay, I mean, like within the week. Look, I mean, that book. <laughs> I need to finish that book because that book is a representation of me not completing anything. Do you know how many times I've started that book? Oh, there's your problem. At least ten times. We talking Don't Blood Meridian. It. Yes. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, that was not an attack. I was excited. You know, I've I've been reading a lot more lately. I, I reactivated or I started a new Goodreads account because I need some sort of digital uh, confirmation that this is really happening. Yeah. And um, I don't, dude, I'm like, I'm at a point where I'm like excited to read. And I really brought that up because I wanted to segue hard into a thing I read in this book. Oh, segue to our new guest, LeVar Burton. Come yeah, on out. No, not LeVar Burton. No, I, uh, so, you know, here's behind the curtain. Remember when Marbles R.I.P. was, uh, uh, she runs the Unnamed Footage Fest with us. She's one of the programmers. Yeah. Remember how she really wanted to do a parody block of the Blair Witch? That's correct. And everybody knows all the Blair Witch parodies. Yes. Marina Book. I found a list of paranormal activity parodies, which does not get a lot of love. Mm -hmm. And I thought there were like three here. I just wanted to run through it really quick. Here we go. So uh, in 2010, we had paranormal effect. Then we had paranormal activity in 2012. I talked about that. I know that one. Supernatural activity in 2012. Paranormal proof in 2010. Paranoid Activity 2 in 2011, Abnormal Activity in 2010. Not even trying. Paranormal Entity in 2009. I know that one. 30 Nights of Paranormal Activity with the Devil Inside the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I know that one. In 2013. A Haunted House in 2013. Yeah. Dude, that's all, you know, up to, when was this book written? 2013. It's bigger than you thought. That movie was enormous. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah, I was blown away by that. I don't know. I, I, I saw a book on the table. I'm like, there's my segue. Also, I mean, we're talking a less than a decade difference between Blair Witch and Paranormal, right? Because Paranormal was, what, 2008? 2009 filmed in 2007. Yeah. Okay. So right, right there, a decade. Yeah. What, I want to know, like, what made more money? Now, inflation has to be taken into account. Oh, I'm, looking sh- I'm sure the Blair Witch did. And a 10-year difference. Because the Blair Witch wasn't fighting uh, stigma. And Paranormal Activity, there had already been a decade of people trying to capture the Blair Witch again. Yes, but the marketing for Paranormal Activity was absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I saw it out here at the Metreon in um, a limited screening. They're like, this is a one-night event. And then they made it a two-night. And then they made it a three-night. And then, like, and a then few it went months, wide. Yeah, a few months later, it went wide. I saw it wide. Yeah. That was the night where we had a local radio show out here, and they were doing a giveaway where you had to run down from your chair. Lamont Antonelli? No, it was, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but they were encouraging people to run. They didn't care how you got there, so they were actually trying to encourage people to climb over seats yeah. to get down there, and then they would give you a, a CD, which turned out to be Burned and I think Beyonce. Tight. 
Yeah, it was really weird. I'm like, this is a bad energy. Randy, did you listen to Lamont and Tonelli? Oh, yeah. My my dad had like a CD of like just some of the recordings. So did so did Russell. You did too. I found one at Amoeba. (laughs) Hell yeah! And I bought it for my dad. So tiny. I I think I think I failed to give it to him. Oh, they are so. It's such a dad show. It's like the best of Lamont and Tonelli. And the first segment is like we got fucking ACDC in the studio. Well, don't worry. We we've got some Lamont and Tonelli bits coming (laughs) your way, baby. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. We're going to be highbrow. Very serious. And before uh, before we start the show officially, I wanted to give a shout out to another podcast. I know you you hate it when I do this, Clark, but I really think they deserve it. It's the Blob Show. Now, here's the thing with the Blob Show: Charlie and Tony. I like a, Tony. We have a father and a daughter, and I've wanted to listen to the show forever. Um, the three friends, Mickey, he's told me like, "Hey, man, it's great." When we had him on, he plugged them. And I could never find it. Now, here's my problem. The podcatcher I use is Stitcher. I fucking hate you, Stitcher. I know you guys listen to the show. <laughs> I don't know why your search engine has to be exact, but yeah, it does. you bitch. So if you go look for our show on there, you have to put in the Overlook Hour, and then it will pop up like 20 down. It's like you have to put in podcast. It's fucking stupid. So in the Blob Show, they have an exclamation mark. Hey, Stitcher, Stitchers get bitchers. I do. There you go. <laughs> no, if you don't put in that punctuation, they don't pop up at all. So if you're like me and you listen to Stitcher, go check out that show. I've been just jumping around like I do with new podcasts. And I came to one where um, we have the introduction. We, we capture in audio Charlie's first ever found footage review. So she watches her first found footage movie ever. Do you have an idea of what it might be? Cannibal Holocaust. That would be a good one. That'd be interesting. But it was the Troll Hunter. Oh. Now here, let me cue this up. Because I, I, uh, here's a little spoiler. I just wanted to give you a taste of the show. This might be my favorite review ever. Uh, here we go. You think people should watch Troll Hunter? Mm, no. So Troll Hunter was not a hit here? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I didn't like the rest, but I did like when I died, I did. You only liked when the character died? Yeah. Did you like how they were making a movie in the movie, though? No. Well, that's a that's a common opinion. A lot of horror fans don't necessarily like the found footage genre either. <laughs> Dude, how good is that? Is that not beautiful? It's very good. And I know you love children. You're great with children. We we need to cool it on that narrative. <laughs> I just I just want to say that just as no. a, a as a forefront. Like you're like you're the cool uncle that would have great gifts, and you'd show up and again you are building me up. <laughs> I have missed so many gifts That's as bull- an uncle thus far. You sh- you have a phone call every week with your nephew. That's the best I give them. That is more than I, I do for anybody in my family. And you and Randy are good. We'll see how long this lasts. All right. You're going to give up on him? What's going on? They may give up on me, dude. All right. Okay. Well, I know everybody's waiting for this moment. The moment where we we talk about the elephant in the room. And uh, if we were going to have... Yeah, our- I gained a few pounds, but Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you look good. The bandana's really slimming. I know. Now, <laughs> it's part of my... You, everybody wants to know if we're going to have our, our own hot ghoulie come back. And uh, I think he moved on. I tried to call him last minute. Creepy Clark is who you're referring? I don't say his name three times. He may That's appear. True. But 
We haven't, I don't have anything ready for him. He's not coming back. So I had a backup ready and he's been waiting outside. Uh, why don't you go ahead and why don't you come in? All right. Now we have another mic for him. Uh, go ahead. Do your little thing. Good morning. It's June 20, 2021. And it's a Sunday. Today, I'm hoping that your weekend projects are going really well and you're enjoying them fully. Everyone, have a great day. Oh, 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 oh. And, he, and he's gone. Randy, so, so you missed it. I, I love the man. But I'm starting to wonder if head trauma was a part of his past. <laughs> oh, don't you dare. The way that he spoke. No. Yeah, You know, I showed him. There was a donk on the head somewhere. I cut. In Missoula, Montana. (laughs) There's a badonkadonk on that head. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? Is that a pompadour bird? Did you just call him a butthead? He's eating ass. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If I could cut your mic, I would. Don't you dare say that. He flew out from L.A. to intro our show officially. Dude, Lynch eats ass, dude. Oh, my God. All right. You know, he really just wanted to do something different than creepy. I think his cadence was, it was pointed. He was trying to live in the moment. You know, the ghoulie's creepy, and he's His kooky. cerebellum is pointed because of a prior head trauma. <laughs> yeah, he's creepy, and he's kooky, and he's also fired. He's not coming back. David Lynch, though, uh, glad to have you aboard. All right. Oh, I, I'm fine with this as the new intro, even though the um, the timeline's going to be several days off. <laughs> yeah. Well, aired. when we record, I understand. It's the time, you know, I'm with you. I, I'll let it. I, I will allow it. That way, when when you know a celebrity dies tomorrow, and we get all those mad emails, we're like, "Why didn't you memorialize them?" We'll be like, "Dude, we say the date that we recorded before, right?" We're just covering our bases here. I'm with you. All right, and um. Yeah, I need a better segue. I got to get used to this. I'm not used to having, like, structure in the show. So uh, why don't we just go, uh, it's time for the TBR report. The TBR report. And just to be clear, that's Clark having a stroke, not the little ghoulie coming back in and doing that. I have three voices. I know. <laughs> and I have exploited all of them. Yeah, what state is that one from? I'm guessing the East Coast, too. I'm from okay, no. Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> All right. This week, oh man. You know, I also should set this up. The the whole idea of the TBR report is it's that we have a no, I didn't mean to do that. The TBR report live from <laughs> Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> the whole point of the TBR report. I'm not playing it again. Is that I want to have our buddy Thomas Burke, found footage filmmaker, uh, come on and recommend some movies to us. I want to keep the found footage vibe going. And I really can't watch a movie every week unless there's an outside pressure. And I've learned this. So this motherfucker has been recommending the most bizarre shit. He's always worried that I've seen it too. Uh, 100% on his end. He hasn't recommended one movie I've seen before. This week, what are you pointing to? I know. I didn't watch that one. But you saw it. 
no, I put it on my. No, that's the okay, Helen so, Hunt movie. So, okay, we here we go. I. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Now this week he recommended two titles because he was sure that I would have seen the first one. And yet the second one, I guess, is the one that I had watched. And I totally forgot it was I See You. I'm not covering that one. This week, I'm covering a movie called Voodoo from 2017. Now, a young Southern girl tries to get away from her increasingly complicated life, but soon learns that escaping her past won't be as easy as she had hoped. Sister, I've been there. Now, uh, Tom goes on to write, Okay, to be honest, when I first read that synopsis after the fact, I couldn't help but laugh and feel that it's very misguided when it's really about a girl who gets trapped in hell and raped by the devil. I preface by saying that just because I know something like this will be reason enough to turn people away from watching it. But if you do dare, certainly check this one out. Now, what a pitch, right? Now, if you go on IMDb, their synopsis is when Danny, an innocent Southern girl, vacations to Los Angeles to invade her increasingly complicated life, she learns that escaping her past isn't as easy as she hoped. These are all terrible. And if I could set it up, a girl uh, engages in infidelity mm-hmm. and while rethinking her life, travels to L.A. Only to get a call from home to learn that the wife of the husband she was sleeping with has now put a voodoo curse on her. Ooh. Voodoo barely, vaguely shows up in this movie. And our opening shot, now you can find this on Tubi, right? Oxen, we watch it on Tubi. Yeah. And... Uh, the opening shot is one of the most shot on video. It's confusing already, too, because <clears throat> Thomas is really good, and I know everything he'll send me will be found footage. But we open up, and it looks almost POV. So I'm like, weird. He didn't mention that it was going to be a POV film. And we, we're in the body of somebody staggering through uh, foliage. They break through, and now they're looking into a, a playground. And there's a mother. Uh, I'm assuming she's a mother pushing a child. She has bright red hair. Which is, I only mention that because it's very distracting. Now, we come up to the playground. There's a chain link fence. We're in it. The, the redhead is killed off camera. We see her on the ground landing in a pool of blood. And whoever we are in the body of is now pulling the child away as they go, no, mommy, mommy. And they're walking backwards. Mm. Hard cut to a, what I'm going to guess is a voodoo priestess in a tent. Doing a ritual, going just gibberish. Right? Is she wearing a hat? She kind of looks like Miss Cleo. She's oh. got like that kind of vibe going on. No hat. Well, the thing that's distracting is there's a body laying in front of her, except it's only framed from the waist down. You gotta let the bodies hit the floor. And it looked like it was an adult. But while talking to Oksana before recording, I think that was supposed to be the child. Anyway. We, we cut from that, and we never return to anything that even looks remotely like that footage you open with. No voodoo tent. No, and if you look at the posters for this movie, they look incredibly micro-budget. Uh-huh. Like, one of them has a weird pentagram thing with rosary hanging down, but then you, you look closely, and you're like, that's not a pentagram. It's more like a triforce. You look at the beads. It's like, that's not a rosary. Then you look at the other one, and it looks like a Walmart movie with the girl bent over backwards. It just says voodoo. Tagline. You are going to hell. That's good. All right. And it's like, I would be down for either of those movies. That opening shot definitely felt like, you know, the shot on video micro budget. But then we move on. The next cut, it looks kind of like a, 
like they had some money and somebody knows how to film shit. We have a girl who's getting picked up at a train station and uh, her friends there, they're like pretty, like, I don't know, LA girls. This movie's very LA. A train station in the United States? That's what she talks about. I don't remember if she had gotten dropped off by like Greyhound or something, but I, I... Vaguely remember it being an airport, but they talk about her taking a train later on in the movie. I thought it just started with her like in an Uber already in the backseat of a car. No, no, they're picking her up, and one of them has an Uber driver. The rudest Uber driver ever. And uh, there's an ongoing gag about him dropping them off in uh, front of the house and making them walk up a hill to the address. And they're like, why wouldn't he drive us up the hill? I don't know what that bit's about, but it's, it's really weird. Um, so we have Danny Lamb played by Samantha Stewart and Stacy Cole played by Ruth Reynolds. Stacy Cole is so, played by Ruthie. I didn't, I, you know, the names weren't um, stated enough for me to catch on to him, but Danny lamb is a little on the nose. Danny lamb. As we know, one of these two is going to be raped by Satan at the end of the movie. Oh yeah. So um, my money's on her. Um, I'll mention Samantha Stewart, who plays Danny lamb, her acting ranges from, incredible long cut scenes of her crying reacting to like banging noises bouncing off and just being in the moment of complete mental breakdown to like wow you couldn't get another cut like why didn't you reshoot that like sometimes it i will say it feels like the director's fault here for me like i think she did really good anyway uh her and her buddy she did well she did well superman does good you're correct thank you (laughs) I'm glad you're here to spell check me and get my grammar. It's the new format, (laughs) baby. So most of the movie with them is kind of like, oh, hot girls running around L.A. And I mean, they they are driving around. They go to Venice Beach. They go to fucking the rainbow. Like uh, if if you're a fan of the the heavy metals like me and Oksana, you'll you'll perk up when you hear the rainbow. Except that, honestly, it kind of makes me cringe because I hate seeing any of that culture in a movie. So they go to the rainbow and uh, Danny's like, whoa, it's so trippy being here. They're, mind you, they're just sitting at a booth together having a beer. And uh, lo and behold, Ron Jeremy shows up at the table and he's like, hey, who are you? And he starts talking to Danny Lamb and he's, he gives her her card. It's a really weird interaction and he's gone. And I get what they're doing. They're trying to be like, it's L.A. We got celebrities out here in the rainbow, bro. in the rainbow. And uh I guess the best I could get was to fucking Ron Jeremy. Anyway, the movie's about a girl fleeing New Orleans to get away from voodoo. The whole time, (laughs) the whole time I kept thinking, why isn't this movie about a girl fleeing LA to New Orleans and getting trapped in like a voodoo world? And most of the, you know, the first second act, the first half of the second act is a lot of just like, we're running around telling jokes, having fun, weird little inklings of CG everywhere. Until one night, oh, I should mind you that she's filming this whole trip for her dad. So she signs off going, good night, daddy, when she's in bed. And I'm like, that's some weird voyeuristic shit we're doing here. We have some like pretty girl just going like, good night, daddy. I'm like, somebody's either a genius or like, they got to go see a therapist. Anyway, on the second night, when she goes to bed, she hits the wrong button. Instead of turning off the camera, she turns on night vision. And you're instantly greeted with, and it's just somebody screaming, but it, they look like they just got out of the spirit shop and they're <laughs> wearing a mask that cost $50, mm. but they're right over her. Like imagine if an entity was hovering over you in bed, 
screaming at you. It's every morning. Continue. Yeah, right. There's two in the room. Also, it turns into bad Ben vision where the whole the night vision is green. Oh, yes. And she's like, oops, night vision. And then turns off the camera. And in that moment, you're like, well, okay, the shot on video shit is still in here. After that, they do one more excursion. And the third act, I will tell you, um, a lot like Hell House LLC or Houses October Built, we get a paranormal romp through this house that feels like a haunt. Except that it's not a haunt. They've turned the house into what I would call a haunt by graffitiing all the walls completely. So there's this moment where she like shifts and she goes downstairs looking for help. And imagine you walk out this door and all the white walls are covered with graffiti. It's, it's really effective. Also, she does long takes of screaming and you're like, oh, we're getting trippy here. Was then, there a Banksy there? Well, uh, no, dude, this looks like uh, gang tags. Like they did a good job of making it feel like you are abandoned. And she's there screaming and all the all of her friends living there cuz it's kind of like a frat house thing. Yeah. They've all become deadites. And it's like, "Whoa, we're getting in weird territory." And the thing is it never turns back. We go from the the house the house haunt into just straight hell. And when I mean hell, clearly I I think it may be in New Orleans. I meant to look it up. It feels like they went to a year-round haunt where it's just like cave walls and shit. And they just, we just run through it for over a half hour. And it is incredible. We have a creepy uncle that clearly had an interaction with her when she was younger. Then we go to an executioner who chains her to a wall and two little goblin guys come up and start licking her. And the executioner will come and throw them off camera. And it's just nonstop. Then we move into, um, now I, I would feel like it would be giving it away, but I really think people would watch it. Don't Anthony Cadis this, dude. We have Satan. Um, think Lord of Darkness. Like, kind of like loincloth, kind of barbarian Satan, except, you know, it's Tim Curry in there. So we get a lot of great facial features, and we have the giant horns, right? Well, this is more like if Conan were a uh, Satan. We get a red dude who's, like, banging an upside-down crucifix on his throne. And he's sitting there as a, uh, maybe a choir or like a jury of demons are screaming while our lead is chained to a table bent over. And uh, yeah, buff Satan, dude, he straight up goes at it. Oh boy. And I'll tell you, there's a thing where in indie movies, when you have girls like teasing nudity all the time, but you don't do it. It's one of those identifiers that I look for where I'm like, okay, we're not going anywhere. And for a movie with a lot of like horniness going on, no dick. Right. Oh. And I'm like, okay, well, the dick is a different threshold. Once we see a wiener. Hey, man, it's 2021. You don't have a you don't have to have a dick to be horny. Right. But I'm once, Clark once you get a dick in there, the rules are out. It's like, okay, we're going to tell me <laughs> you're telling me, brother. So I'll tell you, Satan, he, he rips her shirt off. And the fact that there was no nudity until that moment, it's really striking. And it really feels violating. And they have a moment where she's on the ground crying. This movie should not have any emotional impact because it feels like a fun little like L.A. movie. Dude, it it worked for me in a dude. Thomas, you fucking you're killing it with these recommendations. Like at one point I was like, maybe if you're going to start recommending like really weird micro budget shit, I might have to be like, oh, I don't know. They did a good job. I love this movie. It is not perfect in any regard. But I don't, am I crazy here? What did you think? Um, 
Yeah, no, it was definitely it disarming at first. And then, I, I don't know, felt kind of like really amateur, I guess. But then, yeah, this ending was. Well, it almost insane. felt like we should be drinking when we first turned it on. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, should I invite people over? And like, should we have like a party atmosphere out of this? And then just like the structure of it, like there's three clear different tones to this whole movie. And they're all, I don't know, they're, they're all uniquely entertaining. And there's something about like the slasher characters where you're like, these idiots are, they're smoking weed. They're hanging out in bikinis. They're teasing these dudes. These dudes all, they suck too. They're drinking <laughs> beer. They're clearly not respecting these women. Oh, there's a moment where the girl's kind of getting over her boyfriend. And I, I meant to ask you about this after we watched it. And she's, there's a lot of heavy petting going on. Mm -hmm. And then the dude, you know, in like movies, how whenever a guy's getting touchy, it's like they, they rub their butt. This guy went straight hand between her legs. Like, I'm like, they have to be dating, right? I don't know. Because what he was doing, he was like, he was just palming her crotch and like pushing dude, her up. It was so weird. Is that not how you do it? I don't know. It's definitely like you guys, like for the first interaction between these two, I'm like, Oh, or is this going to turn into a porno? I mean, we just had Ron Jeremy on screen. Well, you don't, you don't, you don't jump to the Trump, dude. <laughs> what? As they say, you don't jump to grabbing the pussy. So you don't jump to the Trump. <laughs> is this your new catchphrase? That's right. I was wondering why you're wearing that shirt. Yeah, I knew. Well, <laughs> we're bringing him back. In the merch store, jump to the Trump. Okay. Four, four more terms. All right. I know I went long here, but again, voodoo. Now. 2017 if you just look up voodoo and tubi it's gonna be a little rough to find it <laughs> go to the one that has the weird janky looking stone triforce i'm you're gonna want to watch it and for a show where we rib like cgi a lot there's a lot of weird cg in this movie one of them is a branding somebody gets branded with a cg like dude it's it's fucking great i highly recommend it and uh Again, next week, we'll do more found footage with the TBR report. This concludes the TBR report. How many stars? Oh, dude. Fuck. I don't know. What? Damn. How many stars would you give it? I need to play off of somebody. I think I'd, I'd go three and a half. I think I'm going to go four. Maybe even... Are you Don't go, laugh at me. I, you know, I are love you gonna this movie. go four and a hook, dude? I really liked it. All right. It's I fucking laugh because you ask me and then like I go know. against what well, yeah, I've become very insecure. The thing is, on Letterbox, they have your average. You bro, I mean, have you looked at Thomas's average? It's like mostly fours and fives. Again, we should plug his Instagram because he told me today that he just broke over a thousand reviews for found footage critic. As he continues to log them, I think he's personally done over five hundred. Yeah, on that <clears> website. <throat> what is his um, letterbox? The movie archive. Okay, the movie archive. Which I had a hard time finding. I don't know why, but I can. Yeah, we no, can no. put a link to it. You know, this audience is smart. They'll find it. Ouch! <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> also, I've gotten critiques on being mean to Oksana. I hope you all know it's just a character. Although it might be why she won't marry me. So yeah. also I'm turning off her mic so she can't say anything. We know. You're Gaslight Russell, dude. We know this. There's gas. I don't know if it's the light, though. <laughs> so. I got Randy to check. Um, this is the newest format, the newest iteration of the show. 
Um, and because of that, you know, we, we want to try to do new things. Um, so we're going to bring more segments to the table. Maybe not every week. Um, we still want to have this sort of uh, familial uh, rapport that we have with one another and, you know, just talk about films and hang out. We don't want to take that away. But we, we are going to venture into some new territories. I'm worried. <clears throat> All right. Let me buckle up before you begin. In year one of this podcast, the idea of roasting rotten tomatoes was presented. This novel idea served two masters, one providing a long-needed sense of checks and balances with professional critics who seem to use their platform to showcase their perceived expertise of cinema by using hackneyed jokes and references in an effort for one to not waste their precious time with a film that is beneath them. A critic in the coal mine, as it were. <laughs> In more cases than not, the films receiving the most undue denunciation are horror and independent films. On this very program, we showcase films that aren't showcased on more mainstream and traditional mediums. Films that are under the surface, films that are misunderstood, and films that are used as target practice for 26-year-olds with master degrees, they overuse the word granular. The second reason behind this segment was to summon a roasting resurrection of myself. I performed stand-up comedy for several years, and the latter half of my faux career was spent roasting presidential impersonators, drag queens, local media luminaries, and a Jew named Jill Weiner. <laughs> I had a knack for roasting, and I got work because of it. But after one roast where I verbally assaulted a hack comedian for being a hack... I was confronted by them after the show. They expressed to me that I hurt their feelings. And in the heat of the moment, I touched their shoulder, laughed, and said, oh, it's only a joke, man. We're cool. But the fact of the matter was that I did mean it. <laughs> he was a hack. He sucked and annoyed me. But I was a coward. And I stood by the code and played it off as a joke. But I knew that the stand-up comedy subgenre of roasting had run its course with me. So when I attempted to construct this new segment of Roasting Rotten Tomatoes, or Roasted Tomatoes, title pending, I could not bring myself to write insults about people who, have not, who do not have the opportunity to insult me back. However, a compromise was reached. Roasting is only one of several skill sets that I have tried on for size. Another was the role of a journalist. My six-and-a-half-year undergraduate journey was traversed on the overly beaten path of broadcast journalism. And like most things in my life, my journalism career was brushed aside because of my deep hatred of work. However, unlike roasting, there is a longing sense of how far could I have gotten as a journalist? Was I any good? Therefore, I present to you the first in a new series on this show, Rotten Tomatoes. Dead on the Vine, oh, God. <laughs> an exploration of critical blunders. Oh, no. <laughs> 2020 was a year that we could all forget. ...about the deadly coronavirus officially hitting the U.S. Here's what we know. A Washington state resident fell ill after returning from Wuhan, China where the outbreak began. Officials now say more than 400 people have been sickened and nine people have died. 
stuck in our homes for a year with all of the choices we have made, good and bad. Can't go out, but don't want to stay in. During this time of global suffrage, film was our savior. Yes, the holy synagogues in the form of theaters and multiplexes were off limits, but makeshift altars were constructed via televisions and streaming services so that we could all pray to our cinematic gods and escape this hellish world of disease and conspiracy. One film provided solace during that time. It was a motion picture entitled The Velocipaster where a man of the cloth suffers an infection in a Chinese forest, turns into a dinosaur, and falls in love with a sex worker. The Velocipista. A troubled priest. How long has it been since your last confession? Oh, it's been about two years. I do drugs, sell drugs, uh, murder people. The Velocipaster is a film that is beautifully and meticulously crafted by director Brendan Steer. This slapstick motif combined with the audacious title could be a steep climb for some to navigate. However, once the film is viewed, the craftsmanship and the sincerity of silliness is used as a walking stick to support you on your journey. Which is why I was taken aback by the aggregated score of this film on the website RottenTomatoes.com. Rotten Tomatoes is a website that is a collection of reviews from professional film critics that rate the film, giving a positive or negative score. The Velocipaster has a Rotten Tomato score of 57% with 14 reviews. One review stood out more than the rest. The appropriately named Amanda Sink <laughs> poured this film right down the drain. In her review... Amanda proceeded to give the film a compliment, but in the same motion of giving that compliment, she also gave a rotten tomato. From Amanda's review, albeit no cinematic achievement, the Velocipaster the is a hysterically ludicrous horror comedy that knows its absurdity and has no qualms inviting you in. The first four words of her review captured me and held me hostage albeit no cinematic achievement. <laughs> Who was Amanda Sink? And how did she become this technological gatekeeper of all things cinematic? Amanda Sink has a podcast and website called The Hollywood Outsider. Now, a name like that is attractive to a filmgoer looking for something more on the outskirts of the mainstream. However, one looks at the aggregated score of all her reviews compared with the overall score from the rest of her reviews, Sink doesn't seem to be on the outside of Hollywood. <laughs> Amanda Sink has 54 films rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Of those 54 films, only nine have strayed from the overall consensus, giving high praise to critically celebrated films like The Invisible Man, Birds of Prey, Midsommar, Booksmart, John Wick 3, and A Star is Born. That seems more like a Hollywood insider to me. <laughs> <laughs> But the name Hollywood Outsider isn't just a vapid name that is used to lure in cinephiles that are sick of wading in a sea of cineplex popcorn. It is actually is a truth 
Actually, the truth of the case of Amanda M. Sink is that she is located in Illinois, far away from the inside of Hollywood as we know it. <laughs> when you read her entire review of the film, which I recommend that you do, you will find that Miss Sink quite enjoyed the film, comparing it to Tommy Wiseau's The Room, but with the added advantage of self-awareness. The term good-bad movie was used as a descriptor of the film. From Sink's review, in the halls of cinematic achievements, there are numerous doors leading you to those films which set a benchmark for artistic integrity. But if you keep walking just a bit further past the Scorsese and the Spielberg sections, you will stumble across a genre with a door almost exclusively to itself, the good-bad movie. These are those gems that often go unmentioned during Oscar season or summer box office recaps. But when you have a few friends over on a Saturday night and you need a film that knows just how bonkers its premise actually is, these are the titles you lunge for. This is where you will also find the Velocipaster. Sink lures the reader using Scorsese and Spielberg as the carrot while saving Brendan Steer's masterpiece as the stick. Most of the review is providing context to the viewer that this film is wild, goofy, and not scary, which to her credit, there was an opportunity to capitalize on, on humans' inherent fear of colossal extinct animals and Catholic priests. Sink is also critical of the film's approach to special and visual effects, despite making the discovery that the budget of the film was in the neighborhood of $35,000 U.S. dollars, or just north of one Bitcoin. <laughs> But Sink enjoyed the film, stating to grab your group of friends and fellow ninjas, a bucket of popcorn, a lot of alcohol, and enjoy the hilarity the Velocipaster is bringing to you. But why such a low score of 4.5 out of 10? And why, prevent, and why present Brendan Steer with foul vegetation? Was it because you were hasty in your review of this small-time indie film that you found on Amazon Prime and you were more focused on delivering your vastly positive review of Cobra Kai season three <laughs> or is it because she set the bar so high on November 4th of 2018 with her review of fantastic beast, the crimes of the Grindelwald <laughs> where Miss Sink awarded the film with 9.5 out of 10 possible stars. If fantastic beast, the crimes of the Grindelwald were a planet, you couldn't see 10 stars in its entire galaxy. <laughs> but Miss Sink is not alone. If one were to pursue the scores of the Velocipaster, one would notice that this common theme of the good-bad movie. If I enjoy a movie, I say I enjoyed the movie and recommend that movie. Sure, context is important and can assist with the perception of a film, but why penalize a film it does not allow, that does not allow traditional cinematic conventions? Ultimately, it is my discovery that people want to sound smarter than they actually are. And critics are hella stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Clark Little, reporting for the Overlook Hour. You got an outro music? No. Okay. Nice. More like a man of stink. Wow. <laughs> Stupid. What, dude. That was hard to navigate. That was a lot. It was too much. I was up here for two and a half, three hours. Dude. This took a while. That, you know. Oh, my God. So the roasting Rotten Tomatoes thing <laughs> came up. Because, you know, you used to do roasts. 
And one of the things we talked about was that it would be maybe mean or like punching down or I don't know. That felt like like a targeted shot. Like it turned into a sniper there. I think that was meaner than any riffing you could have done. <laughs> but it was also, a, it was just really good too. That's why I wanted to just put it in this <laughs> tongue in cheek, like stupid, like no, dude, package. Everything we do on this show is incredibly serious. And, you know, if David hadn't already got on a plane, I'm sure he would have came in here and gave you a hug. It was beautiful. I loved it. For the record, um, I have no ill will towards Miss Sink and or the Hollywood Outsider. Um, I fully recommend that everyone check out uh, that website and read. She's she's ultimately positive about most of her reviews. Like she's she's okay. All right, I have one critique. Like I, this was really. I unfortunately I just saw a a, a narrative there with her, and that just was like, all right, I got to go with you now. Okay. So Heaven, uh, this just in, we got a critique. Uh, we want to cut the part where you apologize for your segment. I think we got to lose that. What are you saying? I'm saying I'm it, was great. I don't care. <laughs> it was good. I'm not apologizing. It was good. Also, uh, new. I'm just saying if if Amanda comes back to us, she ain't coming back. I mean, I mean no we, ill will. You know, if you're listening, I'd love to, to have her on the show. If you play this show, if you listen to it, you're riding Bart. If you're over in Atlanta with Randy, I don't care where you are. If you're in Australia, if you're in Atlanta with Randy, you're riding what? What's the uh, transit system, Randy? I know it. Do you, Marta? Marta, baby. Okay, if you're on Marta or Bart. Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority. Bart to Marta. We're all over the country. But you're in a club. And you know what? We love you. And if you don't get that, then, you know, fuck off. Randy, have you, have you driven Marta? I have not. Ridden Marta? I have not ridden Marta. I probably won't. It's a, it's a, I'm not sure what Marta is now, but Marta 15 years ago? Mm-hmm. What a looker. Sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fuck. I'm exhausted from you reading that. That was great. That <sighs> My worry, if, if we're going to be, you know, just between me and the listener, that, I, that sounded like it took a lot of work. Yeah, I I'm, can't, worried. I'm, I'm not doing this every week. Are you crazy? I'm worried it's never going to come back. It was it's really a possibility. Good, I liked it. I mean, I'll do something different, but, you know, I don't know. I was okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Now, are we just going to talk about movies? Randy Michael. Yes, sir. Did you you see something this week? (laughs) I did. I saw one thing. Well, I saw a couple things at the hotel room, too, but I'm out here in Atlanta. If maybe you were listening to this. Yes? You said you you only saw one thing? Yes. You don't have the audio. Oh, I don't have the audio. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to play the Texas Chainsaw thing again. <laughs> that was good. I like that. That I just, <laughs> I was like, okay, I have to, do you, by the way, do you know how hard it was to find that fucking thing? Did you have to pull it out of the trailer? It was hard because I was like, what do I say? Texas Chainsaw sound? Yeah. But I, I ultimately know. found it at the last segment of one video. Okay. All right, Randy. So Sorry. if you've been listening <laughs> to this podcast for a while, maybe about- hundred episodes ago, I told a story about how I saw Ad Astra at the Landmarks Midtown Art Cinema in Atlanta, Georgia. I made it about 10 what? minutes into this film until the theater was flooded due to some sort of plumbing situation. So we had to Randy, uh, I, evacuate. Randy, I need you to say the title of that film again. Ad Astra. What? You sounded like you were like from Chicago. When you Ad said. Astra? 
fat ass truck. I don't know. I, I like you're gonna sell me a hot dog somewhere. <laughs> so I never never finished Ad Astra. Actually, I did. I watched it at home like a year later, and it, it was okay. It's a hunk of shit. You're fine. But uh, I'm out here yesterday trying to see a movie. It was raining all day, and um, I could have saw In the Heights or A Quiet Place Part Two again or The Conjuring. AQPP two. Yeah, there's a Sparks Brothers movie, which uh, Edgar Wright directed, but I don't know anything about Sparks Brothers. More on that later, potentially. I saw a movie well, called... That's why the, there's a documentary, right? <laughs> yeah. You can learn more about the Sparks Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. They're also playing Censor <laughs> out here as well. But um, I saw a movie called Gaia, which I'd never heard of before. Looked kind of interesting. Uh, so I went in and saw it. The title, or the title, the synopsis... Uh, when an injured forest ranger on a mission is saved by two survivalists, the rescue grows more and more suspicious. Uh, so that plot doesn't tell you a whole lot, but uh, essentially in the beginning, there's this really cool looking like upside down drone shot. Um, and you see the main character on a boat um, and she is the one operating a drone or operating the drone that we're seeing the footage from. Um, and then she kind of like flies it off into the forest and... Um, some dude who's just hanging out in the forest, he's all kind of dirty and, and hairy, uh, sees the drone and he, he attacks it. And then she's like, oh, we got to go follow this drone. We got to go pick up the drone. Even though there's like probably some like weird sketchy guy out here that just like took my drone down. Yeah. Now she really didn't like emphasize that either. No. I'm like, are you going to tell the dude that there's a weirdo out there who probably just attacked your drone? Yeah. Also, I think the reason she really wanted to go get the drone was because she's like, we can't just leave our garbage out there. Yeah, I didn't think about that actually till right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably true. Um, so yeah, it's well, a drone for how much? This was a nice drone, by the way. It was a very nice yeah. drone, but I don't know. It's like you wanted to save a couple thousand dollars on a drone, or like potentially save your safety. You know. Well, I mean, they're a park ranger out there in the jungles of South Africa, man. Well, like, the, they the, can handle themselves. The other park ranger was like, hey, you know people go missing out there. Like, she doesn't work with well, them. yeah, that's yeah. called exposition. I know. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm with Randy on this one where I'm like, fuck the drone. Come back later. Yes, but we'd have no movie. Yeah, true. But I'll tell you this. All right, Hitchcock, you bully. How much, how much was... how, Dude, I loved the establishing shot for this. Yeah, same. And like the upside, when we get upside down and we see the water and then we see the canoe and right. we, then we kind of get our bearings back. Right. Clark hit his vape. I apologize for him. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> yep. Same. So yeah, it's a, it's shot really well. There's some really cool effects. So essentially they go in and um, yet yeah, the main character, she goes in and she um, injures her foot on a trap that these people set. Um, and then she um, is Brandy taken is in. It lightly. Yeah. <laughs> she's taken she in by impaled. the yeah she gets impaled in the foot and then uh can't walk and she gets taken in by these uh forest people and um yeah stuff gets weird from there there's a lot of stuff that has to do with um mushrooms and plants there's some kind of uh psychedelic imagery there's like you see like spores floating um around these sort of like mushrooms and stuff that's looked really cool to me there's a lot of like cool practical effects um which I thought looked pretty, pretty cool. Um, but other than that, I wasn't really able to like really connect with this movie. It felt kind of like, it felt a lot like Ben Wheatley's In the Earth, which I just saw like a couple months ago. Um, very similar and also kind of like a, his movie, A Field in England. 
Um, also kind of reminded me a lot of Annihilation, um, which I liked a lot more than this. Um, and kind of reminded me of um, the author of Annihilation. His, his uh, books have a lot to do with like nature and kind of like sci-fi and kind of like horror and some like body horror stuff. Um, there's a lot of like dream sequences in this movie. It's like the main character keeps waking up from a dream within a dream or something. And like, you can't really tell like what, what's what sometimes. And I don't know. I felt like they just like played that out a little bit too much, but yeah, you guys saw this as well. What, what else did you, you guys think? Randy? No. All right. Now, Randy, I'm going to go, I've been writing a list. I, uh, I'm checking it twice. So the, you know, dirty, um, hairy forest men save her. Yeah. The thing that struck me was that after they trapping were the her. Most, yeah. After trapping her. The thing that struck me about them was how they looked like they just walked out of gummo. Yeah. They're like very skinny white dudes. And I'm like, Oh, weird. Oh, okay. Maybe they're surviving their own horror movie. But right off the bat, I did not expect them to be living in a shack. Like I had like a visual problem there, but I should mention we saw it at the mall and we went there and, uh, the, ah, my experience with this movie, I think I would be right there with you, Randy. Except I took an edible and it <laughs> hit me pretty hard. And here's the thing. When I was in the theater, when, when that moment, there's a moment where they break a mushroom in half. And it's very early. And you just mentioned it. There's like spores get caught in the wind. Yeah. And it, it kind of like dances like a Kubrick, like doing the waltz, like through the air. And the way that it's filmed is now, mind you. I'm, you know, I'm living in the movie at this point yeah, because of this fucking drug. And I'm, I'm just like, I am mesmerized by the way that they managed to frame this and make the CGI look like it was something the camera was chasing. Russell, I'm going to stop you right here and just let you know that I am in 100% agreement with okay. you <laughs> and we are holding hands because I had the same Dude. exact experience. And I, I was like, oh, I no. was higher than an astronaut's pecker. And <laughs> the thing was, I didn't, I was like, oh no. Like whenever I approach a movie, like, you know, I love found footage films because I love thinking about the technique and, you know, the parameters and just like, I don't know, technical stuff and just kind of being in flow with the film, but not like this. Like I felt like I was a prisoner on their like, I was in the back of their car and it's like, no matter where we were going, I was on board. And that, that scene where the spores are flowing through, I'm like, I get it. Everything's connected right now. Like nature, like the spores, they're in tune with everything like light, the wind. They know about the bark on that tree. They know about the grass growing under that log. And then it ends with a blue plastic bag. And I felt so like, violated by that bag and then the two dudes i thought them, that i thought that was an homage to american beauty i did too <laughs> it, i mean it felt like it because it's literally floating in the air it just the way that the color of the movie looked was very like i don't know kind of like it was vibrant but it was all very natural and whenever we get like a blue or a red it was alarming like you look and that bag was just like oh my god what is that bag doing out here and it made me think about the the drone and i'm like oh no wonder she wanted to get that drone out of here we're like perverting the land. And I, dude, the movie is fucking weird. And all those dream sequences, Randy. Yeah. They were tripping me out so bad. I bet. Yeah. Like, oh, dude, I hated it. I hate being <laughs> like that during the movie. And it very rarely happens. I don't. Now the movie I'm going to talk about later. Uh, Oksana took an edible 
and just passed the nice. fuck out. So I was almost, I was almost like. To be fair, that was about two hours into the movie. Okay, okay, fine. <laughs> but also wrong decision. I should have okay. taken it before this one. So I was like revenge taking an edible. I'm like, well, I'm gonna go into this <laughs> one, and I'm gonna have. And I was just, I was, I don't know, locked up. Like Clark, did the movie, the the, the music, the visuals. Like you're talking about the the drone upside down they do a thing where you know i love to make fun of the shining where it's like oh everybody's got to try and mimic the car driving through the woods yeah yep. yet this one we're, we're on a boat we're on a canoe and we're going which was very weird because in D we're dealing with canoes right now in the jungle i felt i was like oh no this movie's looking into me <laughs> and then they do a thing where the drone flips upside down and we're looking at the world through the reflection in the water and i i was already like it was great dude it was amazing then they juxtapose that imagery with like fungi yeah. and it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, it's kind of like a plague is like growing off Gaia, the planet. And then we're kind of like a weird, like cancer in there. And I'll tell you, Randy, I talked about you right when we got out of the movie. Hell yeah. I know you were really into first reform. Yeah. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, is that movie about shifting religion from Catholicism into a like green religion because it's kind of like he's shucking it but he's Mm -hmm. becoming like a servant to gaia in that film i don't dude i'm telling you i was tripping the fuck out clark i could not tell that you were uh, affected (laughs) in any way i like the movie what do you guys think about the very last scene i hated it yeah same (laughs) well i don't think this is a spoiler because if you go online anywhere everybody's like oh it's the last of us it's the video game like if you've played that game, you know what's going on in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. And what was the? I don't honestly. I don't remember the last scene in the movie. Hamburger. Hamburger. He's like in a city, and Whoa, he goes out to I, eat. That didn't happen. I no, don't remember. You talked that. about it. I did. Yeah, because there's a uh, element that um, shouldn't happen when you eat something that it would turn to something so quickly. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was okay. I remember now. I'm back. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you know, the weirdest thing for me was I felt like this was kind of like a Western where everything in the film is like a binary, like everything is juxtaposed against another thing. So we had the themes of like the forest rangers and the wilderness men, right? And then we had the theme of like uh, wife and mother, which was very, I was having a hard time when we jumped over to. Yeah, the, yeah. The, just the way they treated her in that cabin. Yeah. They they did several things flawlessly that I have to recommend them for. And one of which is it's it's the photography is amazing. Like I said, I I I thought it was shot beautifully. Yeah, beautiful. That opening shot will be stuck in my mind for a long time. And when I think about this movie, that's what I'm going to think about. Okay. And also, I I like the special effects. Oh, I like the creature. Right there yeah. with you. Uh, I thought the special effects were very effective. You know what the special effects reminded me of? Mm. In particular, the tableau of like they they had a lot of tableaus of like corpses being overtaken by Mother Nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what Midsommar wanted to be, I think. Right. I'm with you. This was this was way more effective Dude, and successful on that on that I, realm. Honestly, I would make that like I've never been excited. I mean, in years to make something a desktop image, but I'm like, I want a high def picture of one of these people being reclaimed by um, Earth. Yeah, it's so fucking beautiful. I would love to watch just like and, a vignette about how and they it did grosses it. me out, and it's it's horrifying. Yeah. 
Because I have also often thought about vegetation growing from my body. <laughs> I also thought about like a, moss on a tree. What do you think? How funny would it be? And uh, not is the answer I'm expecting. Mm-hmm. If we did a like coronavirus parody of like the spores traveling through an air from a mask. I mean, I'm like, we're already hacked. So. I know. <laughs> Like, just throw All it right. on the fucking hack wagon. That'll be our visual content. And then another thing that I thought was great, I this is one of my favorite things about films, is that I love films that I can count how many people are in the cast. I don't. And there are four people in this thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's great. I don't like that. I love it. <laughs> I actually, I think when you open up a movie and you have a lot of people in the background, it gives it more of its own life. But- if a movie calls for it, like this movie was clearly about seclusion and like, you know, being in a different world. And I did mention briefly, you know, the use of red in this movie. I was genuinely horrified when we kind of flipped into night and we were doing almost like a, a stranger things. Like was the vibe I got where we see a cabin backlit by red in the forest. Yeah, yeah. dude, I was like horrified right there. And again, I think if I was sober, this movie would just be okay, and I'd be there with Randy. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I like that. I don't think you should. There's something about like if I don't you, know, man. I'm pro steroids in baseball. Well, you know, I like drinking during a movie, yeah. and I feel like you know it's yeah because you're a fucking drunk. I but so why is it different? Why do I feel like if I if I'm under the influence of like THC, it's a different movie, and I'm like yeah, that's true. It's more of a personal journey at that point. And with drinking, it's kind of like you're just more open and loose and maybe you're having fun with other people. But like, it's a very, I was very introspective during that movie. And I don't think it's fair to the film because I couldn't judge them. I was, dude, every fucking music cue. I was just like, oh my God. Dude, it, within the first 15 minutes of this film, <laughs> I kept running through my mind. This may be my favorite movie of all time. What the bullshit. <laughs> okay. That quickly okay. dissipated. <laughs> Because uh, when we first find uh, the, mm, I'll use the, this softly. We've been the, really good. The so antagonist far. of our okay, film. Okay. Um, when they first come on the scene, I immediately started to come construct my own narrative of of what their responsibility within this narrative was. Yeah, my idea was way better. Um, but yeah, it fell off. The, it fell off that. Uh, yeah, path. you gotta you gotta be along for the ride. I really like it. Though. Yeah, I told you they kidnapped me. I was in the trunk of that car, wherever we were going. I was I had no choice. I kind of wish I I did do drugs before the movie. <laughs> I I hate like critiquing movies for like kind of wearing their influences on man. their sleeve too much, you know? Because like oh, you're controlling it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm controlling it. Because oh, and you, also his camera's off. You, why'd you turn your camera off? Because uh, it looked like my internet was getting a little a little chunky, it, so it was, bro. Uh, yeah, I wanted to see. I wanted. I'm sorry, Exxon. I thought you were doing that. I'm. Conv- I don't know what's happening anymore. It's okay. Just be. Just get in the trunk of the car. And go on for the ride. <laughs> All right. But yeah, just saying. I I wish that I knew. Uh, or I wish that I was able to uh, separate myself from things that I thought that it was doing that I I had already seen before. You know what. Maybe that's what's valuable about it. The word it's, is derivative. Well, yeah. the, no, because he's talking about the frame of mind where you're just comparing everything. The word is not derivative. And I think if you know, if you're like inebriated or if you're like under the influence of something else, I think maybe it kind of like shirks all that and you're just there for the film. But I mean, I felt like I didn't have anything constructive to say when we walked out and we're talking about it. I'm like, I, the movie just happened. Yeah. 
Like it wasn't a narrative. I just lived it. I don't know. And um, I have been in the trunk of a car. I got in one to go to a rave in the mountains, and it was part of the uh, <laughs> secret location. And that's all I'm going to talk about. <laughs> was this pre-Oxana days? Oh, yeah, it was pre-Oxana. Given by Oxana's look on her face. Is that true? Yeah. Oh my god. I did twice, actually. Did you do ecstasy? No, I didn't. No, I was, <laughs> I was, I was straight edge back then. Hell yeah. Oh my god. But I, if you would have called me that, I would have got very angry. But I didn't even, I didn't drink or If nothing. you would have called me that, I would have no idea what you were talking about. Well, I didn't. About. And then when people were like, yeah, you should get tattoos. I was like, for what? Like, what, what weird gang am I in that I don't even know about? Dude, were we, we were all straight edge in high school. Yeah. I didn't drink till I was 22. 21. I got you beat. Randy was 46. <laughs> 28, something like that. <laughs> Power to you, Randy. All right, Randy, you got another film? No, that's it. All right. Wait, Oksana, when did you start drinking? Um, 12. All right. Good old Russia. Let's play the theme song. <laughs> I had, had some champagne on New Year's. Okay. As a 12-year-old? That doesn't count. She's a party girl. That's what attracted me to her. Well, when was when was your first like, fuck you, dad, drink? Like a beer? <laughs> okay, or, like or a vodka. I heard a story that when my when we were like still in Ukraine, my parents had like people over, and I grabbed a shot off the table and drank it, and like cried because <laughs> I was like two. Yeah, not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Russ, let's talk about uh, Sparks Sex Brothers. Sex, baby. Oh, You want to talk about Sparks Brothers? Well, then what am I going to talk about in my thing? Oh, yeah, we could just end on I that. I thought you had another thing. Well, Randy did my other thing. Oh, that's right. I've oh, been, so you're going to end with Sparks Brothers. I could. I'm a little worried about it, though. Why? I don't know, because I wasn't really thinking about it. I don't want to end on a fucking nonfiction film. A quirky nonfiction film. I will end with it. And I'll, 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 I'll help you out, because I, I enjoyed that. Okay. But, uh, the... One film I want to focus in on this week is a film that dropped on Shutter, I believe, a f- couple of weeks ago, entitled The Amusement Park, uh, which is a 1973 lost film from George A. Romero. Uh, Randy, you, uh, you heard anything about this? I have. I've been meaning to watch it, but I haven't actually watched it yet. So, Randy, what do you know about the amusement park? Have you done any <laughs> mild research? Do you know why it was lost? I don't know why it was lost. I think someone on this show was maybe talking about it a while ago, or at least someone that we talked to was talking about it. I can't remember where I heard word of it from, but I know that it's I like an hour long. He's right. I think a guest recommended it. might have not been on the show, though. It might have been uh, after we were done recording. I have yeah. no recollection of it occurring on the show. However, yeah. that certainly does not mean that it did not happen. Um, so what this actually was, uh, was a public service announcement uh, done by George A. Romero. Uh, this was his only work for hire. Um, and this was commissioned by the Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania as an educational film about elder abuse and ageism. Wow. Uh, the film is 52 minutes long, and you learn that it's a PSA um, right when the movie... Up- now, when I watched this film, I was like, okay, it's a lost Romero film from 73? All right, I'll give it a go. It- and it's 52 minutes, so why not? 
But then the movie opens up with the lead actor of the film telling you that he is the lead actor of the film and goes on a several-minute diatribe describing why you shouldn't make fun of old people (laughs) (laughs) and why this film is important about, hey, you need to respect old people. I'm old. Respect me. And uh, it was done in a... um, Here's the thing about amusement parks, and I think it was uh, this was love beautiful them. to film it this way. Do you love them? I used to. I probably wouldn't go to one these days, though. Uh, see, that's the thing. I have a fond memory of amusement parks, but they always stressed me out. But I felt when I have good memories of them. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, of course. Did, did you venture to a lot of amusement parks as a youth? Yeah, th- that was a summer thing. For me, yeah, I liked roller coasters and yeah, shit. Yeah, love roller coasters, yeah. but yet... Actually, I like playing the games, too. I think I mentioned it on here before, they kicked me out of one. Oh, really? Yeah, because I won the ring toss on the first thing. Oh. Yeah, I used to have like a five-foot-tall Scooby-Doo plushie that uh, molded <laughs> over. You know, Gaia took it. Oh, boy. Yeah, and so it went to the dump. The way that they open up this film is that they've, they've got... It, it looks like it had freshly rained. In the, in the amusement park, it is completely empty, and it is daytime, and it looks terrifying. Uh, amusement parks during the day have a weird, like, vibe to them, you know? And um, also amusement parks, and also th- there's a lot of uh, uh, fair vibes to this movie as well. So it is amusement park, but it feels more like a, a county fair situation. It's a weird vibe too. Yeah, yeah. No, we we would have the the Mississippi State Fair, um, in Jackson, and uh, oh boy, you know, there's something about wild wild times when you have a location like a fair, and the, clearly there's a lot of effort and money involved, and then they look like sparsely attended. I always feel really weird being there. Like I have like guilt walking around. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> also, amusement parks empty. I've been watching a YouTube channel that is literally just pictures of like weird uh, architecture or like mostly rooms built for a lot of life mm-hmm. empty at night. Oh. And it's really like, it's disturbing. Like I don't, there's something about it. So there used to be a six flags in new Orleans. Um, they have actually filmed several movies there because it was uh, abandoned after now it had long lost the six flags i think after katrina it lost the six Six flags wouldn't go back so it went through a couple different iterations of more independent theme parks um it was known as Jazzland for a while and i think for a very brief time it was a religious uh amusement park but it is it is all shut down and it's actually the amusement park that's filmed in uh uh synchronicity oh okay um, and it's in several other films as well. So, Wait, what is a religious amusement park? So, there's one in like, do God. they just name the names? Like, pretty much. That's it. It's like same shit. Just well, it's just cr- like, hey, we're Christian and come to our Christian town. Here's ride the Cain and Abel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. This is the Old Testament. Yeah. Take a dip on Deuteronomy. <laughs> right. Like the Old Testament would be like the Grizzly. Like, it's really punishing in there. There's no seatbelt. You're always worried it's going to, like, wreck. And you know what the cost of admission is? Oh, no. An eye for an eye. (laughs) (laughs) And a tooth for a tooth. (laughs) So, 
yeah, so once once it was established very quickly that this was a PSA, the whole my mind shifted. Um, and it was good that it was because to say this is heavy handed uh, may be an understatement on some. Um, now, from what I understand um, through the little bit of research that I have done concerning this motion picture is that the the Lutherans in Western Pennsylvania were not too happy with oh. what Mr. Romero presented to them, that they did use this for a brief moment in time and then shelved it. And it has sat on a shelf uh, until, I believe, in 2017, uh, someone discovered it, and uh, they restored it in 4K, and then premiered it in Pittsburgh in 2019. And then Shudder picked it up and uh, just released it a few weeks ago. How rad would that be? If you're like just looking at a shelf with all these reels on it, and then you find a film, and it's just like George Romero. Like, I've, I've fantasized about, like, you know, discovering an orwell film that was lost or something yeah i don't know i that's got to be fucking cool i'd watch a like mini documentary on the dude who found it and just what it's like like miami connection oh yeah somebody bought that off ebay it's like dude i don't know i want to do that one day we gotta start getting film reels well i feel like we can do that with several youtube videos that we've seen i know see we, we start small and then we work our way up. <laughs> we're doing. We're in the minor leagues right now, yeah, babe. We're doing. The, we're doing the work. Um, but so far, the reception of the film, uh, a lot of people have enjoyed it. I think it's around like ninety four percent on the uh, aforementioned Rotten Tomatoes. Um, which I mean is to be understood. You know, we're talking about Romero. Romero died a few years ago, and this is an interesting um, thing that happened. <laughs> you know, he this was his first paid for hire movie. Now, 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 let's look at it from the perspective of the Lutherans of Western Pennsylvania. All right. Like at this time, so this was in 1973. Russell, this was after his zombie picture. Oh, really? So George Romero was George Romero oh. when they hired George Romero. So why would you hire George Romero? The man who single-handedly reinvented the zombie genre to talk about old people. I have no idea. So that's what I want to know. What was that level of disconnect? What happened there? Um, Because, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, yes, you know, I think you have to look at it within the, the lens of the time in which it was filmed, but it's an, it's an unsettling movie. Like, I, I didn't feel great. Like, it's like, and I was tired at the end of it. I felt bad for the old man. That's a short run time, right? We got an hour? It's 52 minutes. Oh, dude. 52. I want to watch it. I, 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 I recommend it. Um, you know, it's just a man getting the shit beat out of him at an amusement park <laughs> for an hour. Um, lit, like, a gang beats him up. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh. Uh, mild forms of torture. Wait, what kind of gang? We got a biker gang? We're talking Crips over here? Or <laughs> we got the good boys coming in? What are we doing? Oh, mixture of good boys and bikers. Okay. <laughs> the good biker boys. The good biker boys. All right. Um, yeah, it's um, it, it highly recommended. I'll tell you, I for, love- For novelty, yes, it is a novelty, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, this is a PSA that's been lost for- 50 years yeah it's a cool thing well by a noteworthy director yeah too. but 
that fucking movie poster, I love it. It's a great movie I, that's, poster. I love it. I would watch it just based on that. Which is what I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about, Randy? Yeah, I've seen it. It's a great poster. Yeah, the, like George Romero with the carousel and like his head and his mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah, it's, it's not beautiful. George Romero. That's the lead actor. Oh, it's the lead actor. It's the okay. lead actor. Oh, that's why he's bleeding. Yes. Oh, fuck. If they printed that poster. I'm sure they did. Dude, that looks great. <laughs> All right. You done? Yes. The beautiful. Part. All right. Well, because you all stole all the good movies this week, I'm going to talk about this dump of a film. These dumps of fucking music. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> Here in California, people love Sparks. And I think, uh, well, you know what? I don't, I can't speak for all of California because the documentary opens up and they kind of talk about how everybody thinks they're an English band, which honestly I did too. Sure. And, um, they're from SoCal and I'm like, weird because I know up here in the Bay, people fucking love them. Um, we have a mutual buddy, uh, who's like creative type, who is the one that showed me the residence. And he was also the one that was like, dude, we got to go watch the Sparks because they're coming out. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to do like some UK pop, but I kind of like them. Like, you know, through cultural osmosis, I had known about them. And I really was resistant to go see this documentary. I know. It was so cute looking like we're the Sparks, but don't call us that. We don't like to be called the Sparks Brothers. Wink, wink. Well, how do you feel about one Edgar Wright? I like Edgar Wright. His movies, I'm kind of like whatever on. Yeah. I like him, though. He's great. How can you not like him? I don't know. He's he's one of us, but talented. Yeah. He's got a lot of talent. Him and Tarantino talking, I have a lot of fun like listening to. And when I thought of him doing a documentary, I'm like, what does that mean? Like documentaries, you know, nonfiction filmmaking. Yeah. Like unless you take a very stylized approach, it is what it is. And this movie, we have a lot of like um, newspaper, old photos, like a lot of referential material used as a visual backdrop for a lot of audio, like uh, storytelling. But then we have um, the Sparks Brothers themselves there. Talk and also they hate that name. That's a thing in there. Uh, what is their actual last name? Male. Male. Ron Male and Russell Male. Now, they're interesting, and I kept thinking of um, the Residence movie. What the fuck was their documentary called? Theory of Obscurity. There you go. And I remember how much I love that band and how much I did not like that movie. And I'm like, dude, if they would have done it this way, it could have been the same fucking thing. But like. I like this movie. I thought it was the. So we watched another movie for, um, oh my God. What is P Lander Z? Yes. And they took the like fly on the wall approach where it's like, Hey, we're going to hang out with them for a show. And then we're going to just, that's our movie. Like you get a really real feel of the band and we're going behind the curtain. The residence movie was about, Hey, you don't know who they are. We're going to catch you up because we're VH one right now. And we were doing that here, except I felt like there was a lot more heart. And I mean, when I say VH1, I mean, we're, we're marching in the old celebrities, right? Yeah. We did that here. Yeah, for sure. And do you want to, you want to take a shot at this list of people? Scott Ackerman. (laughs) Scott Ackerman's in there. (laughs) Yep. We got Beck. We got Mike Myers, Giorgio Moroder, Fred Armisen, Weird Al, Nick Rhodes, John Taylor. Who, can we talk about how handsome John Taylor is? 
He may be the most handsome man I've ever seen uh, in my I, life. I don't give a fuck about John Taylor. What I want to Why? talk about is how they, like dug up, they dug up and resurrected Flea okay. to be in this movie. As, as handsome <laughs> as John Taylor is, Flea looks like he's 87 years old. He looks pale white. He looks sickly. I'm worried about Flea. I think they resurrected him from the dead. Man almighty. He looked like he was hanging out in a tent town here in the Bay Area, and he OD'd a couple of times. And the last one, he lost the battle. We loved him. We didn't hear about it because they resurrected him and brought him in for this movie. He looked like the fucking Crypt Keeper. It's, He's yeah. gray. He looks so old. He does. He looked like a gray alien. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. And I'm, I'm sorry. I know we're spending a lot of time on how Flea looked, but my God, it was so fucking distracting. Like I, why didn't why didn't Edgar Wright color correct, or maybe he did. I don't. Maybe he did. Maybe he helped it. <laughs> I think it was a hologram. I'm sure he died. Now the film we are. This is a you don't know about this band. We're gonna we're gonna teach you who they are, and I think they did a pretty good job. Up front, we tend to spend a lot of time. As children, they did blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of on the team of what do we care what they did when they're a kid? Like, how much does that really affect you as an adult? I'm on the fence about that. Yet, when I left this movie, I immediately talked to Clark about like, you know, I think it was kind of important they did that. Mainly because these guys kind of look like dorks. They talk about in their career doing um, kind of like... Uh, gender fluid stuff with their album covers and being kind of like one of the main questions are, oh, what's their sexuality? And then you start off and it's like, oh, they played football on a team. And it's not that playing football makes you heterosexual, but it's kind of like they wanted to paint the, they're not poor. They weren't down and out. They had parents that loved them. They were raised in kind of an artist, art, I almost said autistic, artistic family. And they're kind of just like two white dudes who drove to Vegas to see the Beatles play. With their mom. With their mom. Now, they talked about this. Now, when they both went to Vegas to go see the Beatles with their mom, Ron was 19 years old and Russell was 16, but yet their mom had to take them to Vegas. Uh-huh. Hmm. Hey, I didn't drive until I was think it was 23. Yeah, I don't know. It's a Seems California. Seems a little weird. It's a California. Seems weird. <laughs> no, All I'm saying. No, it... it they really did. So, okay. In my head, I kept thinking of Walk Hard and like music parody. And in that movie, they do it. They do that great bit where it's, it was a fucking dark time. And it's like, here's the moment in the movie where everything falls apart after this great crescendo of love. And then now it's all bad. And we really didn't have one here. The worst thing that happened to this band was they didn't put out an album for six years. Mind you, they had already 20 in the canon at that point. I'm yeah. pretty I'm, I'm around 20. I don't know. I think if I were a big fan, I would have loved it because they really pay attention to like the first eight albums here. Oh yeah. And they kind of walk you through the idea. They take a deep um loving look at the artistic intent behind their music. And I really like that. I love sitting down and talking about like what do the lyrics mean here? And, you know, I don't think I've ever really had a friend group that could do that musically because I like to I like to listen to like Demi Lovato and talk. Actually, there's a um, Ali and AJ song that's called uh, it's about a breakup. And at the end of the song, there's a reversal, like an audio one. And I'm like, I wonder if that's kind of talking about how we fall back into the same traps and we end up dating the same people 
and we don't learn from these emotional moments. Yeah. And then people are like, you're talking about fucking Ali and AJ. And I'm like, okay, I understand. Yeah. But I wish I, I don't know. This movie kind of gave me what room 237 did for the shining where it's like, Oh, I'd love to sit down and just like have a beer and talk about a band that, you know, put more thought into their music than you would think. It's great that you use this as a comparison with the residence documentary, because they're very similar in that regard where both of these bands have a mysterious aura surrounding them where we know, we don't even know who the residents are yet. If you watch the documentary, they're in the documentary. (laughs) They're the ones who don't shut the fuck up the whole time. It's, it's very clear that they're in the documentary and that they made it. That's why stink town. But with the Sparks documentary, it's the same thing. Like, we don't know if Russell and Ron are married. We don't know if they, they, they have released no information this yeah. whole time. So even people who, you know, are huge Sparks fans, they just, they just don't know. So to have a documentary about the Sparks brothers in two hours and 15 minutes of runtime, we still don't know because the documentary is a celebration. Yeah. Where, uh, and that's sort of what the documentary was trying to be with the residents, but the residents is a little separate, a little bit different. Nowhere near as popular. Right. Either. And with, and there is a level, well, A, yes. And yeah. B, there is a level of um, understood manipulation that's happening with the residents documentary, opposed to what's happened with Sparks, as it's just a celebration. So that's why leaving that thing, um, I felt great. Because yeah, it was just, you, you felt happy. Um, and I'll tell you, it was two hours, but it flies by because you're covering a lot of ground here. And, you know, you're hearing from people that, you know, really want to showcase and celebrate this uh, band that was very important to them as sort of outsider, but is centered around pop music. And s- to sort of have these outsiders within popular music um, is an interesting thing. And, you know, I I have a brand new love uh, for Ron Mayle. Like I feel like we are spirit animals in some way, um, and and you know and Russell as well. Like the way that the band were, is just perfect, and um, you know that these two are brothers, and how they just work perfectly together is that Ron's really sort of the artistic driving force behind the band. Is that he writes the music and the lyrics, and um, you know is the intimidating force. Uh, you know, with his Hitler mustache. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, his defense of having a Hitler mustache is pretty great. Um, now he's pretty John Waters. Yes. So we've, it, got, it, we've it gone is, away yes, from Yes, it that. is John Waters now. Which, again, is sort of based upon his explanation of why he had a Charlie Chaplin slash Hitler mustache, <laughs> makes perfect sense that he's pivoted over to um, that sort of Clark Gable-y pencil thin mustache now. Because it's all... The definition covers everything. Yeah. Where essentially he just says, they, I just see them as cartoon characters. Yeah. And that is a perfect, um, you know, personification of his performance, of what he does. And, and then, you know, to partner with Russell's, like, vocal power, like, man, that guy's got a voice on him. And he's also got great stage presence and the fact, you know, and it just works. Yeah. And, they, and the lyrics are weird. And the melodies can they're be, really they're good. both simple and confusing at the same time. A lot of good writing. And um, it's did, great. I, I had a great time with it. Randy, you, I, I fully recommend you watch it. 
Yeah, Randy, I think you dig it. Did you want to weigh in at all? You looked like you did. I was just going to say, uh, one of my favorite parts is after, you know, we spend close to two hours with them. The, one of the people that interview kind of breaks down how like their relationship translates into like the lyrics that um, Ron writes for Russell to sing and how they might like, you know, play into, well, he got all the attention from like the female fans kind of thing. Like that was one of my favorite parts of this movie. Yeah. So Russell male, he is attractive and they really go into it. They even cover how he dated the go-go singer and um, Ron, you get the feeling that he's the one writing all the lyrics. So when you you have an attractive dude talking about like, hey, I'm halfway decent looking across the room, it it added to that mystique for a lot of people. And that's why I wish I was a fan before I came in. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of Ron fans prior, and there's way more Ron fans now. Oh, uh, one of my favorite parts, uh, they had one of the girls in a uh, popular video, or one that's probably on the internet now, where they the venue fired the security before their show and women were just charging the stage the whole show and one of them in the documentary was reflecting on her as she tackled like ron playing keyboards and she's like oh my god she's like the thing is i really appreciated him for his music and his talent but after i had like tackled him on stage i knew that i would only be a child to him forever now and it really broke my heart I don't know. I thought it was really yeah. well done, especially for a Talking Heads format that I normally hate. Now, you know, there's animation and uh, reenactments that take place, um, you know, as expected. Uh, Edgar Wright's, you know, pushing the uh, creative boundaries. I will mention, I wish he wasn't in it. He popped up two times and I went, get out of the movie. It threw me off a little bit. Yeah. Too. I didn't love it. I didn't love that. And it's very brief. Like, yeah. I'm sure he was thinking that, too. Like, nobody wants to fucking hear from me. And he popped up and I went, okay, dude, get the fuck, get, get the corpse back out here. I don't want to look yeah. at you anymore. But my boy John Congleton showed up in this. That was great. Um, who else? That was someone else. Well, I think great. the Marauder thing really and struck Marauder, us. Yeah. yeah and I've listened to that record nonstop yesterday. You know, I can't get into the single. What, it's number one in heaven. It's a great song. I couldn't get into you it. You know why I don't think you like it? Why? Because it's too upbeat. No, I like upbeat. I don't like mid-tempo. No, but this this is like supposed to be like inspirational, man. Yeah, but it's I can, a nice little song. I need irony in my inspiration. There is definite irony in this thing. I know, and I that's why I don't think... I mean, everything they do is irony. It's did, you like listen, did you listen to other songs on there? Not yet. I haven't right. dove in. La Dolce Vita is great. Oh, that was the first one I played. I also, really like that one. Um, What's the one where he keeps repeating the same lyric over Okay, there's a different record. I know, but I, what is that song? Uh, My Baby's Taking Me Home. Okay. My Baby's Taking Me no, Home. No, no, no. We don't want to get copyright. My Baby's <laughs> Taking Me Home. And great song. Again, I got real FOMO. When they mentioned that this band got together and 21 nights in a row oh. played 21 complete albums in a row. Randy, listen to this. Did you hear what he just said? So I did. Night one, they played their full first album in chronological order with the encore being B-sides. They played that 21 days straight. They went through every song they had done. I think at the time it was 270. Jesus. Fucking crazy three weeks in a row every night a different full album <laughs> insane i yeah i i'm like man i like me now if i knew something like that was coming out especially pre-document or yeah pre-documentary yeah dude 
How fucking cool. I'd fly out there. That's not true. Me and Clark, we cry all the time about not going to see the frogs in our own fucking town. I'm not getting on a plane to fly. Yeah. Still bummed about that. John Taylor is very handsome. (laughs) All right. Anything else? I mean, I could talk all day. All right. We did it. Anything else you want to say about that movie, Oksana? I'd see them if they came out here. I think they do a lot. I again, I think they they're have getting, a. They're getting them up there. Ron's seventy-five. Still look good though. Look great. I did appreciate that little moment where they still work out and creatures of habit. I can uh, appreciate that. <laughs> My babe's taking me home. All right, all right. We'll take us home. Randy's taking me <laughs> home. My Randy's taking me home. Um. Okay. Yeah. This was the first episode. I thought the first episode of the new format went over swimmingly. It also went over in time. Oh, God, but that's long, okay. How long? We're about ninety minutes, I think. Yep. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Get out of control. It's okay. I apologize. Right, but that's why we're breaking it up, All right. baby. All right, we're breaking the baby up. Okay. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those at podcast at Overlook Theater. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not any of my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hour is available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. The Overlook Hour is available on YouTube as The Overlook Theater. And The Overlook Hour is available on Twitter as The Overlook Hour. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Randy. Also, shouts out to uh, Dave Season 2 on um, FX. Great show. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't shoot that first one in Korea, did they? I don't know. I don't know either. But I don't think they did. But they did a good job. And if they did do it, they should have gotten more out of it. <laughs> yeah, true. Murder, death, Koreatown. Yeah. Uh, Dave season man. Dave. Dave is one of the best shows on TV. It's great, without question. All right, for Randy Michaelstadt, Russell, John. The Fisherman and Oksana Valerian of Osachi. I'm Clark Little. Until episode 252 with guest that we are calling, just in a few moments, Zachary Carter. We'll see you then. Like, was there a music cue there? I don't know. I know. <laughs>